Hey y'all, welcome to my podcast called Absurd Art. This is the podcast where I talk about everything absurd with art. My name is Liz, and I like to highlight the nutty and interesting and wild stories all about art, about artists, museums, and just about everything in between. I try to make art and art history a bit more interesting and entertaining, so if you find art history a bit of a snooze, then you've definitely come to the right place. I'm not a prestigious professional in anything relating to art. I simply just enjoy all things art. I'm an enthusiast, if you will. I do my own research, usually online, and I compile it all together here in a podcast just for you. That being said, there is a possibility that I may have left a few things out, but hey, I'm doing the best that I can. So I hope everyone had a fabulous Easter if that's something that you celebrate. My mom decided literally the day before Easter that we should have people over because she bought a whole damn leg of lamb. A whole damn leg of lamb, okay? And... I was all for it until I realized that it's 6.7 pounds, okay? So that's two pounds per person for three people. It was just going to be the three of us, right? So two pounds per person, that's a whole kilo for my non-American people out there. I don't know if I've ever eaten two pounds of food in one day, let alone that plus everything else. And she was like, oh, it's okay, we can freeze it, but... I have an issue whenever it comes to um, the freezer section at Trader Joe's, so it's not like there's any room in the freezer because I can't control myself in the freezer section of Trader Joe's. So yeah, it just made sense, and we invited people over literally the day before. It was nice. The weather was a little cloudy, but still really nice and chill. Anyways, enough about Easter. Today, I really wanted to talk about NFTs, but I really didn't have enough time to make it good, and I also wanted to have a guest on, so an episode will be coming soon on NFTs, but not today. So instead of NFTs, today I'm going to be talking about the famous Mona Lisa. Who is she? Is she smiling? Why is she so famous? She's just a painting, right? Where has she been? and all that good kind of stuff. But first, I just want to say that I will no longer be uploading my podcast episodes on Mondays. Instead, I'm going to switch over to Tuesdays because Mondays and Sundays are just a little bit rough. Just need a little bit of extra time to prepare for the week and stuff. So it's just easier for me to do it on Tuesdays. And so yeah, the episodes will be uploading on Tuesdays from now on. And also, I will no longer be numbering my episodes. Uh, I started it briefly, and then I realized that apparently it messes with the algorithm and your podcast doesn't get shown very often. So no more numbers, and Tuesdays is when we're uploading now. So if you are looking for a specific episode, you're just going to have to scroll a little bit. And I'm about to get into the episode, but here's a quick ad from Anchor. Okay, so just a little episode disclaimer specific to this episode is there's a lot of conflicting facts when it comes to what happened with the Mona Lisa, yada, yada, yada. So I will provide you with as many details and tell you where they contradict. Okay, so if you don't already know, the Mona Lisa was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, the Renaissance man, the myth, the legend, the painter, and the creator of the Mona Lisa. 
So it's not exactly certain when he painted the Mona Lisa, but we know that it was between 1503 and 1519. 1519 is when he died, and at the time he was living in Florence in Italy. And also, it's kind of known that Leonardo da Vinci was a procrastinator, so the painting could have actually taken him the full 16 years to paint. And I'm sure you've probably seen an image of the Mona Lisa, but I'll just remind you what the painting looks like briefly. It's a portrait of a woman from her waist up. She has long, dark hair, and there's a very intricate yet soothing background. Simple, right? But the details are what make the painting famous to some extent. So the folds in her clothing and the details in her hair and the shadows in the background, they all show extreme attention to detail. And that's partly why this painting is just so beautiful and world-renowned. So there's actually an alternative name other than the Mona Lisa, and that is La Gioconda. And it's pronounced differently in different languages, but essentially... So, who is the Mona Lisa? Mm-mm-mm. Nobody really knows for sure, okay? But there are a couple theories out there. No one knows which one it is for sure, but they're all theories. So, one theory is that she could be Lisa del Giocondo, which kind of goes with the secondary name of the painting, which is La Gioconda. Anyways, Lisa del Giocondo was a wife of a merchant in Florence at the time. And so the name kind of connects to that, right? Another theory, number two, is that she could be Leonardo da Vinci's mother, whose name was Katrina. And Sigmund Freud actually came up with this idea. I talked a little bit about Sigmund Freud in my Surrealism episode, so if you want to go listen to that one, I definitely recommend it. It's called Getting Surreal with Surrealism. But what Sigmund Freud says, so Sigmund Freud came up with the theory that Leonardo da Vinci painted Mona Lisa somewhat subconsciously and that it came from his unconscious mind to paint his mother. And another theory, the last theory that I have for us today, is that he painted himself as a woman. So Leonardo da Vinci painted his female version. And either way, nobody has cracked the code yet of who the Mona Lisa actually is modeled after. Yeah, so mystery. Ooh. So let's talk about Miss Mona. Miss Mona. Miss Mona Lisa herself. She is very detailed and anatomically correct. It's mostly because Leonardo da Vinci really studied the human body, including organs, and he would draw anatomical models like the Vitruvian Man. The Vitruvian Man is that sketch, if you will, of a man who's kind of doing a jumping jack in a circle, and his legs um, and arms are in different positions as well, so it kind of looks like he's moving almost. I'm sure you've seen it. If you just look up Vitruvian Man, you'll know what I'm talking about. So he has experience really studying the human body, and he doesn't really consider himself to be somebody who studied anatomy. He just studied the human body and the organs, not necessarily the formal form of anatomy. So the painting actually is not on canvas. It's on wood, and it's a type of wood called poplar wood. 
And essentially at that time period, it was a lot cheaper than canvas was. The typical canvas that you paint on would have to be woven. And at that time, they didn't really have the type of machinery to make a canvas, and it would be very expensive to get your hands on it. So it was a lot less time-consuming and a lot cheaper to use this type of poplar wood. And before the 16th century, paintings on wood were the most common, so it only made sense, really, to have it painted on wood. So so since Miss Mona here was created in 1503-ish, she's over 500 years old, right? And she's had quite a few owners, and she's even traveled a little bit. So I'll get into the traveling part later. Her first owner was a French king named Francis I, And how Francis I uh, acquired this painting is because Leonardo da Vinci actually worked under him as a painter. And so whenever Leonardo da Vinci died, it just became part of the royal collection in France. And so it was passed around a lot in France to a bunch of castles and what have you. And for a while, it was even in Napoleon Bonaparte's bedroom before it was brought to the Louvre in Paris in 1804. So it was around in France for quite a while before it was ever in a museum. So the painting got to the Louvre in 1804, right? On August 21st, which is my half birthday, in case you wanted to know. In 1911, on August 21st, there was a theft. Okay? A theft. And it was actually a really dramatic time. The museum was closed for a week after the theft. And once it reopened, people were going to the Louvre just to see the empty space where Miss Mona had once been hanging. They just wanted to see the empty space because they couldn't believe that it was gone. Another dramatic thing that happened was the director of paintings for the entire Louvre completely resigned from the museum. And Pablo Picasso and... Mm, probably gonna butcher this name, but, you know, I'm not a professional. Pablo Picasso and GM Apollinaire were arrested as suspects because a journalist revealed that they had some sculptures that were stolen from the Louvre. But it turned out that the journalist was actually the one that stole them from the Louvre, and they were just brought in after they were arrested, questioned, and released. I'm not sure what happened with the reporter there, or the journalist, because the journalist was the one who originally stole them. And I'm not sure if the... The statues were actually returned. I would assume they were. So who did this freaking theft and how did they do it? How how do you get away with stealing one of the most famous paintings in the world? And fun fact, they didn't even know it was gone for 26 hours after it was gone. Okay. And that's, that's for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, they didn't even know. So who did it? It was this Italian man named Vincenzo Pergutti. Yeah. No, it's not like Gucci. Vincenzo Perguia. It's like Peru and then G-G-I-A. Okay? So Perugia. Okay? Vincenzo Perugia. There we go. Spelling it out. <laughs> Vincenzo, he had briefly worked to fit glass at the Louvre. So he actually was working in the Louvre. He actually had fit the glass for the Mona Lisa. And so he entered the museum through an employee entrance that morning around 7 a.m. on August 21st. And actually that day it was closed for whatever reason. 
So he dressed the part and he wore what the employees would wear, which is white smocks. And when the room that the Mona Lisa was in became empty, he took it off the four hooks on the wall and he took it to the service staircase where he removed it from the frame and the protective case that he had made. And he took off the white smock and wrapped the painting in it and left out the same door that he entered at the Louvre. And some stories uh, actually say that instead of wrapping it up, he just hid it under his clothes. But I also read that he was kind of a small man. And so if he had put it under his clothes, it would be really obvious and it wouldn't even really fit. And so it's actually not official that he made the case, according to PBS. But there is a possibility that he had accomplices to help him. And the facts on that fact are all over the place. A lot of the things that I read said that he did it alone, but I did find a few that said he had accomplices. But I don't think that the accomplices were ever charged or talked to or got in trouble. So after he stole it, he kept it in his Paris apartment in a trunk, right? So not like a car trunk. But, you know, think about like the trunks that you would keep at the end of your bed or trunk that they would travel with in the old times, right? So it had like a fake bottom. And so there was like an extra little storage place in the bottom that nobody knew about. And the Mona Lisa stayed in that trunk for two years. Two years. And then um, Vincenzo decided, I got to do something with this. I'm going to sell it. And... So after the two years that he had it in his trunk, 24 months, he went to Florence and he tried to sell it to a gallery owner named Mario Fratelli. And he was skeptical. He wasn't sure if it was real or what. So Mario, the owner of the gallery, had Giovanni Poggi, Giovanni Poggi, who was the curator for a really large museum in Florence, And he had him come in and have it looked at and authenticated. And Giovanni said, yeah, this is a real Mona Lisa. This is the real deal. And then Giovanni and Mario, they alerted the authorities. And Vincenzo was then arrested at his hotel that he was staying at in Florence. And while he was in jail, everybody, like, loved him because kind of he had brought the Mona Lisa back to Italy, right? And he was getting love letters, he was getting cakes, he was getting bottles of wine sent to him in jail. And he was only in jail for six to eight months. I saw a lot of different things online. For the most part, it's eight months, but six to eight is what we're going to say to be safe. So he literally stole the Mona Lisa, had it for two years, and was only in jail for six to eight months. What the heck? Can you believe that? So it was all over the news, and Mona Lisa toured all around her little home country of Italy, and then finally, in 1913, she was returned back to the Louvre in Paris. And so we're really not completely sure as to why Vincenzo did this theft, okay? Because it could have been for money, or it could have been for this, that, and the other, but let's get into it. So one theory is that Vincenzo did it to be patriotic, okay? So the Mona Lisa was from Italy, and he thought that it should be returned. He also thought that Napoleon Bonaparte had stolen it from Italy, when in fact it was pretty much France who owned it the whole time. And 
I don't know how much I believe this because I don't really think he would have waited two years if it was a patriotic thing, right? I think that he would have given it to a museum if it was patriotic and he wouldn't have tried to make a quick buck on it. Okay, and I don't think that he did it to be patriotic because while he was in possession of the Mona Lisa, he was writing letters to his dad saying that, um, you know, that we're going to be rich and wealth is coming to our family, yada, yada, yada. So I think he did it for money, but I don't really think he thought it through all the way because yikes. <laughs> so another theory of why Vincenzo stole the Mona Lisa is, which I think is a more believable theory. But basically, Vincenzo was working with a con man named Eduardo del Ferrina. Um, but I'm just going to call him the con man because it's kind of a long name and I don't want to keep repeating it. So now this theory is that the con man had a man named Yves Chaudron paint a lot of forged paintings to look like the Mona Lisa. So he could basically sell all of these paintings as the original Mona Lisa because they don't know which one it is, right? So there's, think, 12 paintings. One of them is the official Mona Lisa, but they all look the exact same, so you can't tell. So they're all equally as valuable. And so basically the con man had Vincenzo steal it so that they could do this. And this theory actually only came out in 1932, so quite a while after all that went down, almost 20 years. And it came out whenever the con man died. And this theory came from a journalist named Carl Decker, who was friends with the con man and said that he was allowed to tell the story after the con man died. So it's kind of hard to tell if it's true because he's dead. And there are actually quite a few replicas out there. There are at least 12. And most of them are a little bit different, but they're studies that Leonardo da Vinci's students had done. And there are some that are nude, and they're called Monavana. Monavana. Mm, love the name, Monavana. So, yeah, there's quite a few replicas out there, but they're all a little bit different. And, you know, like, they have different colors, different paints, whatever. So, believe it or not, a lot of people out there hate the Mona Lisa. I had no idea until I was doing this research. A number of times people have tried to throw things at her. They've tried to vandalize her. Some people said it's the most underwhelming attraction in Paris. And honestly, though, I've been and I'm going to upload a picture of when I went because it's really funny. So the crowds are really unbearable. The gallery's really small. And there, it's kind of a bit of a hazard, too. I mean, obviously, before corona, there's so many people in this small space that if there's a fire, it's going to be really hard to break out and save the painting. And ah, it just sounds really chaotic. But before corona, 80% of the museum's visitors were only there to see the Mona Lisa. That's how much the Mona Lisa means to everybody. But a lot of the times, they're disappointed. And a lot of people think that she's overrated. So just a little brief timeline of things that I kind of skipped over that I don't need to go into full detail about. But in World War II, the Mona Lisa was actually evacuated from the Louvre. And she was moved to the countryside of France for safekeeping. And she returned to the Louvre in 1945. Not sure when she left, but she had to take a little vacation from the war, I suppose, which makes sense. I mean, it's a lot of valuable artwork there. I wonder what else they moved from the Louvre to go to the countryside. And then in 1963, Miss Rona, no, not Miss Rona. Oh my gosh, Miss Mona. 
1963. <laughs> okay. In 1963, Miss Mona, she went on a trip to the U.S. for six weeks where she went to the Met in NYC and she went to the National Art Gallery in Washington, D.C., and there's actually a, like a really cool old picture of her at the Met. And you can tell that it's the Met if you know the big gate type thing. I don't know exactly what to call it. But. And so then in 1974, she did another tour and she went to Moscow and she went to Tokyo. And Tokyo, someone tried to vandalize her there. So she hasn't really been on a trip since then. And then in 2009... They had to replace her bulletproof glass because somebody at the museum decided to throw a ceramic mug at the painting. See, just a lot of people just really hate the Mona Lisa. And, you know, I guess if I was an artist and I was trying to make it in the art world, I would be jealous that this painting that's over 500 years old gets the most attention whenever I'm over here working my butt off. You know, like, as an artist, I get it. But from a historical standpoint, you got to respect it. It's pretty amazing that she's in such good condition and all of this so okay and then one last super fun fact about the Mona Lisa that I did not know is that she's actually so she is truly priceless you cannot buy her you cannot sell her and this is under a French heritage law uh, which I find kind of ironic because she was made in Italy But it's under this French heritage law, and basically it says that the Mona Lisa belongs to the public, and by popular agreement, their hearts belong to her. So your heart belongs to Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa still remains in Paris behind her bulletproof glass, and it's in a climate-controlled little bubble. And some people love her, some people love to hate her, but the Mona Lisa, you cannot deny, she's an iconic figure, and she has a really interesting past. And there's always a crowd around her as she is one of the most famous pieces in the Louvre. She's beautiful. She's mysterious. She's elegant. She's timeless. She's priceless. And there is almost an aura around her that makes you just want to know more about her. And even if you know all of it, you're still not going to know it all. That's the Mona Lisa for you guys. She is um, an interesting one, but I really got into the art thief thing here. So if you guys want me to do more art thief episodes, I'm definitely down to do that. So yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope that you will please subscribe and rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please share it along. You can even share my goofy picture that I'm going to post of me with the Mona Lisa, okay? So I hope you have a good rest of your week. 